Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. When I was in, high, in college... I learned to tune pianos. The school I went to, the music department, offered a uh, piano technology course, and uh, I signed up, I got in, and uh, for several years, I uh, tuned pianos. It was a great, great uh, opportunity, and uh, I loved doing it. Uh, Some people would hear me tuning a piano, and you know, you're bang, 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 and I just loved it because the science of it and the math in it and all that stuff was just really, really cool. And I remember uh, the, the guy that taught the course, his name was Robert Carbaugh, and, uh, you know, just a really, really uh, super guy. Uh, he's on the music faculty there at Moody, and uh, uh, he always told us this story about this really, really famous piano tuner, and, uh, you know, I think the guy's name was uh, Opernockety. And uh, he, he said, uh, you know, this guy, he was good. You guys think I'm good? There was this other guy on faculty that was really good. He was the Steinway representative. And he said, this guy beat us all. And, uh, you know, he told us this one story. They, they, the Chicago Symphony was bringing in this really famous uh, pianist, and they hired Opernockety to, uh, to tune the piano and, uh, you know, get it ready for that concert. And after he had done it, they said, hey, that doesn't sound right. And uh, they called him up on the phone and said, hey, you got to come back and fix this thing. The concert's tonight at 7, and uh, it's not sounding right. And so he's like, oh, okay. So he goes back, you know, and he gets his tuning fork out and does it and sets and checks middle C, and it was perfect. Then he sets the F below, and it was perfect. And then he sets the, the, the C above, and it was perfect. And he just goes through the whole thing, you know, doing the thirds, the fourths, the fifths, the sixths, checking the registry, the whole thing. And afterwards, he said, this thing is perfect. It's you that's got the bad ear. And uh, they're like, well, I guess it's okay. And then he looked at me and said, I just want you to remember something. Opernockety only tunes once. Okay, let me tell you what, we're going through, some of you are a little slow on the uptake there. Uh, You know, we have a communications team, a bunch of people that are really good at putting all these slides together and all the stuff you see on Facebook or Instagram. And so a few weeks ago, I was saying, okay, I'm doing this series on, uh, you know, people that blew their big shot, blew their big chances. What are we going to call it? I I need a title for this series of sermons. And, you know, someone suggested Opportunity Knocks. And I said, well, if you guys do that, I'm going to tell my Opernockety joke. And they're like, oh, we're really scared. Now they really wish that we had gone with the other uh, title of the sermon. So anyway, hey, last week, this week, next week, we're talking about leaning in to God's best, stepping in to God's best. We're looking at three different people who had opportunities to enjoy God's richest blessing, and they blew their opportunity. 
and we're trying to look at them uh, kind of as a negative example to see if we can learn from their mistakes because I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't want God's best. And I don't think there's hardly anything in life that is worse or more haunting than to look back on an opportunity that you had, that I had, and we blew it. The chance was there, and we froze, or we fled, or we fought. However we responded, we fumbled away the opportunity. So we're going to look at another guy today. Uh, his name is Rehoboam. He actually happens to be the son of Solomon, the guy we looked at last week. So I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, because what happened was Rehoboam, he was the heir apparent of Solomon. Now, we saw Solomon last week. Solomon was probably, arguably, the greatest king that ever lived. More powerful, richer, wiser, uh, just totally led Israel at that time, about a thousand years before Jesus, into being a, literally a world power. And uh, his son, Rehoboam, was supposed to take over. Solomon dies, and all of Israel comes together. The 12 tribes of Israel come together at a town called Shechem, which is really pretty cool because there's so much history that took place at Shechem. And uh, they're going to make Rehoboam king. So, you know... In those days, it wasn't this dynasty that, you know, like King Charles enjoyed. They, they actually said, hey, we're, we're going to consider whether we want you. So look at, uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now it came about when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard about it, for he was in Egypt when he had fled from the presence of King Solomon while he was living in Egypt, they sent and called him that Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Jer Rehoboam saying, so Rehoboam is going to be made king. He's the son of Solomon. He is about to take over the, the, the largest, most powerful, the richest country that was known at that time. And they said to them, this is verse 4, your father made our yoke hard. So therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he had put on us, and we will serve you. Now, what was it they were saying? Well, during the time of Solomon, Israel, I mean, they had gone through a public works uh, program. I mean, they built the temple, they built palaces they built the infrastructure they built the military and so for that 40-year reign Israel was like in high gear building the country and the people said to Rehoboam hey we need some tax relief we need some time to to build our own houses to get our own farms in order to get our own businesses going and so, you know, we've, got, we've done all of this stuff. The economy's humming. We need a little bit less government, if you will. Well, look at what 
Rehoboam says. Verse 5, smartest thing he probably ever did in his whole life. He said to them, depart for three days, then return to me. And so the people departed. It's like, I'm not going to answer off the top of my head. I want to think about this. Uh, You know, one of the big mistakes we make is answering too quickly sometimes. We got to think through things. And Rehoboam at this point is doing the right thing. He says, give me some time. You know, come back in three days and I'll give you an answer. Verse 6, well, King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon. Now, think about it. He's going to the old men, and he's asking the old men, what do you think I should do? And uh, you know what the old men said? The old men said, you should do it. They're right. I mean, for 40 years, we have done so much and accomplished so much. Well, look at this story here. He goes to the old men, the guys who actually had been the counselors to the wisest man that ever lived. So they're pretty wise themselves. He says, how do you people counsel me to answer these people? Then they spoke to him. Verse 7 says, if you will be a servant to these people today, they will serve you. Grant them their petitions, speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Well, how did Rehoboam like that counsel? He forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given to him. And instead, he consulted the young men, and look at this next line in my Bible, who grew up with him. He went and talked to his peers. Now, the first group, the old men, they were the counselors to the wisest man that's ever lived, Solomon. So they're pretty wise. Who were these young men? Probably some of them were either the children or even the grandchildren of these really wise men. And they had had 40 years of incredible prosperity. They'd never known a recession. They'd never known a depression. They'd, I mean, shoot, they'd never seen Israel lose a war. I mean, these guys were raised with a silver spoon in their mouth, honestly. And they were the peers of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam's going to be king, so you know they probably want to say to him, what he wants to hear, I mean, bad source of wisdom. Verse 9, so he said to them, what do you guys counsel me? What should I say to these people who say, lighten the yoke? Look at verse 10, the young men, and again, the author emphasizes, who grew up with him, spoke to him, saying, thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now you make it lighter. That's what they wanted. Here's what you need to say to them. My little finger is thicker than my dad's waist. Whereas my father loaded you up with a heavy yoke, I will add to that yoke. You guys think we did a lot in the last 40 years? You haven't seen anything yet. 
man, we are going to really escalate things up. You know, we're going to do far more. And taxes are going to be even heavier. And, and forced labor is going to be even more numerous. You just tell them, my dad was nice compared to how I'm going to be. Well, they come back together, just like they said. And look at verse 13. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders, which they had given him. And instead, he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplines you with a whip. Man, I am going to discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. And you know what they did? They revolted. So end of the story, he took the young guy's advice and the people rejected him. We're going to stop right there in the story. But if we were to keep reading... Basically, only two of the 12 tribes decided to stay faithful to Rehoboam. The other 10 rebelled, split, seceded from the nation, formed their own nation, and they made this guy named Jeroboam their king, and they totally rejected Rehoboam. Here's the biggest kingdom, most profitable kingdom, most powerful kingdom, and it has a civil war that splits them. And rather than being king over the greatest nation on the face of the earth at the time, Rehoboam doesn't even have much more than one-sixth of the nation staying loyal to him. Instead of getting the best... He got the worst. He lost it. He fumbled it. Now, some of you that are really astute and kind of know the story, and maybe you read the end of, uh, of uh, verse 15, they say, well, that, that was all what God wanted. Yes, it was. It was, because as part of the discipline, as we saw last week, the discipline on Solomon, God's discipline was, hey, I'm going to rip this kingdom away from you. I'm not going to do it in your lifetime because i got too much respect for David. But in your kid's lifetime, I'm going to rip the kingdom away. So yeah, this was what God intended. This was what God wanted. But I want you to pay attention to something, as, in, as is almost all the way through Scripture. There is a human responsibility here. And Rehoboam is being held fully accountable. And so we can look at this thing and just kind of leave God's sovereignty out, if you will, and say, what was it that Rehoboam did or didn't do? You know, I finished the story, but, you know, and so at the end of the stories, I always like to ask the question, so what? What do we get from it? If there's anything we should get out of this thing, it's this. Take godly advice. I mean, there is much wisdom in many counselors. Solomon himself said in one of the Proverbs, 
But here's the deal. Rehoboam didn't take that good advice. And so we asked the question, okay, what was it, just like we asked last week, what got him? What was it that tripped him up? What kept him from enjoying God's best? You tracking with me what we're doing here? Why did this guy who was set to inherit the biggest, most powerful, most prosperous kingdom on the face of the earth, how did he fumble it away? What was it that got him? Well, remember last week we we talked about his dad and what got him. It was sex, strength, and status. Or if you want to pee, it was passion, power, and prestige. Well, you know what's interesting? I think it was those last ones that got his son. It was the status. It was the prestige. Just to be cute, it was self-esteem and peers that got him. That's why Rehoboam didn't take the advice. Now, we're talking about taking advantage of the opportunities God gives us and what keeps us from doing that. What, what, in this case, if he would have just listened to the wise people, the wise people that counseled the wisest man that ever lived, and followed their advice, lowered the taxes, been a little bit less aggressive with the public works projects, he would have stepped in to this plum of a position. But instead, he fought for his life the rest of it. I mean, it was an abysmal failure, his reign, because he fumbled it away over and over and over again. And yeah, that's what God wanted, but God used his personality, if you will, or his take on it all to make it happen. He didn't take that advice. The self-esteem, that desire for status, or the peer pressure of listening to these old buddies that he'd grown up with, that's what got him. What's going to keep you? Well, like we looked at last week, Solomon gave us several things. This week, Rehoboam gives us several things. I mean, that that desire for status, that desire for success, that desire to to, uh, maintain the prestige that we think should be ours, that'll get us. That, that inability to listen to wisdom and instead rely on poor peers will get you. That's what got Rehoboam. You know, let, let me just kind of narrow it down a little bit more. If we were to ask ourselves, what keeps us from taking advice, taking godly advice? You know, I think that Rehoboam illustrates something here Really clearly, there's evidently a pride issue here. I mean, who doesn't want to be bigger and better than their dad? Everyone wants to be bigger and better than the guy that they're following. Nobody wants to come in and it's known that he wasn't as good as that person. She didn't measure up to that person. 
Nobody wants to follow someone that was this huge success and that pride forces us into some really stupid decisions. The humility of our heart is kind of like one of those watermelon seeds that you're trying to pinch and squeeze. It's like it just squirts out and you lose it. And Rehoboam was stuck in his arrogance. I mean, he was the king's son. King's son, supposed to be respected, supposed to be considered strong. I mean, he had his, the wisest man be his dad. In fact, the Proverbs initially were written as a wisdom manual for Rehoboam, at least the first nine chapters. I mean, he should have had it. And so in his mind, he's sitting and thinking, I should be bigger and better than Solomon. And it's like because that was his driving force, when he heard that wisdom, it caused him to reject it. Let me ask you, how would you handle it if someone comes to you and says, you know, that that new position that you just took at work, you're really over your head. It's not, you really probably should back back down. You have been aspiring to that position for a long time. People weren't really sure you were ready for it. Now they're certain you're not ready for it. Would you back down? You know, everyone wants the, these plum positions, whether it's, you know, in a soccer association or in the community or at work or in the church. And you aspire to it. You finally get it. And it's really not what, it's not where you are. And it's like everyone's looking and saying, that's not really his thing. She's not that good at that. Do you have the, the, the humility to back off? Well, that's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, you got kids. I'm a parent. I know everything there is to know about parents because I had some. You get into it, and it just ain't going well. It just isn't going well. The chemistry of your home stinks. Do you have the humility to ask or to seek some advice, to to maybe go buy a book and read it, or to maybe talk to someone and say, hey, how would you handle this? I mean, I think one of the hardest things for all of us is to go humble ourselves and ask advice. This marriage just didn't rock and along like I thought it was. We need help. These kids, they're not turning out like we thought they would. You got any input? Can you tell me some things? Well, that's, that's humiliating. I'm 58 years old, and, you know, according to the country, I'm supposed to retire in seven or eight years. 
and I hardly have three months' salary saved up. Uh, I need some advice. Would you open yourself up to that kind of advice for someone to sit and say, well, you probably not shouldn't eat out every meal. And why in the world are you driving a brand new car? And do you really need to live in this house? I mean, would you open yourself up when, when it's like, hey, you're heading towards a cliff. And everyone can see it. And if anyone that saw what they can't see would say, whoa, whether it's in your raising your kids or conducting your marriage or your finances or your career or whatever, do you, are you humble enough or are you one of those that is so arrogant and su- such a know-it-all that you know it? I mean, I know I can do this because my daddy did it. I mean, Rehoboam could have said that, probably did say it. I'm going to be bigger and better than daddy. And he fumbled away the opportunity. Pride will get you. So the question is, are you humble? I'm going to share you something else. What keeps us from taking godly advice? Because that's the so what. Go home, start getting godly advice. You got your money's worth. I'm just giving you some things that are going to keep you, that tend to keep us from that. First is pride. Let me tell you something else. And, and I, I'm just using this term, dependent relationships with the ungodly. Just another way of saying peer pressure from unbelievers. I think Rehoboam had that. I mean, the writer... The historian that wrote this passage made it very clear that these old guys who gave that initial advice were really smart and wise because they actually were counselors to the wisest man who ever lived. And the young guys, they were his childhood friends who grew up with him. And right there, you got all kinds of things going on. And just by their response, you know, my pinky's bigger than my daddy's waist. You know, he whipped you with a whip. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I mean, just terrible. You, know, you can tell they're just kind of these cocky, arrogant, little snotty-nosed kids that are on trust funds and don't know anything about really and truly how to do stuff. They were the people that he was dependent upon. And so let me ask you this, who are you dependent upon? Whose whose perspective do you really value? Who are you really listening to? The person that you're really listening to, do they have a marriage like what you would really think Jesus would want you to have? Do they have financial situation like what Jesus would want you to have? Do they have a career that is like what Jesus would want you to have? Did they raise their kids the way a godly person would have? See, I think sometimes we look at these advisors that are out there and we think, 
they know how to do this. And, and they, there's probably an element that they really do know how to do. But you need to also take the whole picture. I mean, maybe some of their advice in telling you how to get going on your career is get going on your career at the expense of your marriage. Get going on your career at the expense of your parenting. Get going on your career at the expense of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, who are you dependent upon? I'm not, I, I know we, we, we are supposed to have relationships with the ungodly. We are supposed to have relationships with unbelievers. How else are we going to share Christ with them? But are we dependent upon them? Do they, do, does their opinion carry a huge weight in our life that says, I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to listen to them. I mean, do you take their advice and filter it through a godly lens. Yeah, get their advice. But boy, be very careful not to just take it hook, line, and sinker because some of that advice is what produced their marriage, is what produced their kids, is what produced their distance from Christ. Uh, Dependent relationships with the ungodly. Rehoboam had them. Those guys that grew up with him obviously did not understand the mission of Israel. We are God's people. We are here on earth to be an illustration of God. They didn't understand that. They just thought bigger, better, more powerful. And so that's how they advised Rehoboam. And they helped him fumble away this golden opportunity. One last one, separation from godly people. It's kind of a, these last two are like a coin on one side and the other. Distance from godly people. Honestly speaking, I know you, just because you're here, you know some godly people. You know some older, wiser, godly people. The question is, are you close to them? Is, there, is your relationship with them close enough that they could speak some truth into your life? Is your relationship close enough with them that, that they could actually see a need in your life and maybe even have the freedom to speak into it? You know, I I think, honestly, one of the the worst fallouts of the pandemic, it just accelerated things in in a, you know, huge way. Honestly, I'll bet most of us, if we were honest, if we take the time to sit and analyze it, we are more separated from significant relationships than we were four years ago. Take, if, we, if we could put ourselves back in 2019, before the pandemic started, and compare it to today, 2023, I'll bet the vast majority of us in this room would say, in 2019, I was closer to godly people. I had tighter friendships 
with people that really were walking with Christ than I do now. I probably have closer relationships with anyone back then than I do now. I mean, that is, that is just a, a general thing that has happened with the pandemic, and the fallout is still there. We are not as close to each other. The community is not as tight as it was. And you say, might look back and say, 2019, I, I didn't feel all that close then. You know what? I'll bet in comparison, you felt closer back then. You felt more dependent, <laughs> excuse me, back then than you do now. It, it, it's like that is one of the things that happened. Families, husbands and wives, parents and children are not as close today as we were four years ago. And it's not just because our kids grew up and went off to college or moved away. It is like, in, it is a rare situation where people are closer today than they were. You're not as close to your coworkers. You know why I can t- say that? Because many of us work remotely. And so you Zoom with them. You phone with them. You text with them. You email with them. You Slack with them. Whatever message system you use. And you don't have that communication. It's kind of interesting. I've been on the board of First Choice for three years now. And I hardly feel close at all to any of them. You know why? Because in the three years I got on it right at the beginning of the pandemic, I think I can only think of two or three board meetings that we actually did in person where we went down to the center and we sat in that upstairs room with a big table and we talked about First Choice and their ministry and how to make it hum. We've had a board meeting every month, sometimes a couple times a month, but it's been Zoom. Half of the people are on. They turn the camera on. Half don't even bother to turn the camera on. They're just a voice. And some of them I only met when we did the banquet in October. Now, I'm just using that as a personal illustration and saying, you know what, I don't feel close to them. I mean, I feel close to the ministry. I feel excited about the ministry. I feel more in, uh, uh, committed to it and making it good. But is the community there? No. And I'll bet you've got the same thing going on in your life. I've got it in my life. You've got it in your life. That, that, that the fallout of the last few years has, has just separated us. And so why in the world would I listen to you? And your advice that you have to give me about how I should handle my money so that I can someday retire. How in the world should I listen to you if you wanted to tell me how to have a better marriage and a relationship with my wife? I hardly know you. I used to know you. Used to know you, but I don't know you anymore. The last three or four years, we, you know, you're just someone. You know, and, 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 and just another little detail here. I mean... You look at your church attendance. You look at your church attendance. And I challenge every one of us here today. You ask yourself, how much did I miss church back in 2019? Well, I missed, you know, once every other month. Now, 
a lot of people miss once every other week. We're maybe here 50% of the time. Used to come to 9.30 all the time. 9.30, you guys still doing that? I didn't know you were still doing that 9.30 stuff. I mean, used to be in a small group. We'd meet every other week in someone's home. You know, eat some food, sit in their living room, talk, you know, about what's really going on in our life. Now very few of us even do that. We're distant from one another. And all of that is going to pile in and keep us from listening to the godly advice or even having godly advice given to us. And we're going to be just like Rehoboam. We're going to be just like Rehoboam. We are going to have the opportunity of a lifetime and we're going to keep asking people their advice until somebody tells us exactly what we wanted to hear, and we'll say, okay, good, I'll do that. Here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. I want each of us to, to really sit and think seriously about this last item, because I think this is huge. I mean, this, this has been on my heart for the last couple of months, and you can ask Vicky. this is what's waking me up at 3 in the morning. Because I'm thinking about some of you, and I'm saying, they're not here anymore. And I'm just watching you go towards a cliff, go towards some kind of spiritual bankruptcy. You know, I pray that doesn't happen, but I'm like, that ain't good. You know, I'm not a legalist that, oh, thou shalt do this and this and this and this, and now you're a spiritual genius or a spiritual giant. No, that's not how it works, but there are some elements You know, the recipe is there. And if you apply it to the recipe and you put it together and the Spirit of God comes in and gives it life, you actually can grow in your relationship with Christ. But boy, my goodness, if you don't put the elements in, you know, you're not going to have a good product because there's nothing there for the Holy Spirit to even work with. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit works with is close relationships, community, getting that proximity and awareness of what's going on in each other's life so that we can speak truth and speak encouragement into each other's life. And I just want to challenge you to sit and think, am I where I should be so that when I am up to bat and the pitch is coming down, and I'm supposed to swing at it and hit it and get God's best, someone's whispering in my ear and saying, take the swing. Or someone's whispering in my ear and saying, it's a curveball, it's going way out, you'll miss it. Don't swing at that. Do you have someone in your life doing that? Are you even close enough to godly people for them to do it? Rehoboam blew it, but he blew it because he didn't have that kind of proximity. There was too much separation from godly people. Too much separation. Do you have that kind of separation going on in your life? If you do, run to the center of the church. Run to the center of the church. You know, uh, I did our daughter's wedding a couple weeks ago. 
and uh, I preached on uh, or talked a little bit about uh, uh, Jesus turning the water into wine at Cana of Galilee. And as I was just meditating on that story, I'd never seen this before. But what was so interesting to me is I'm not sure that that couple even realized they were in trouble. I'm not sure they realized that their reception had run out of wine. They were just partying away, yucking it up with their friends, and the people in the kitchen were saying, we ain't got no more wine. This party's going to die quick if we don't do something. I think the couple was oblivious to their problem, but here's what really was cool. And I, I, I still remember sitting in my office down there reading through that passage, and I'm like, I've never seen that. I've read that thing honestly for 55 years, maybe a little longer, but I, I was a slow reader. So uh, probably 55 years ago, I read that for the first time myself. And I thought, who fixed the problem? And I'm not talking about Jesus. It was an older godly saint who saw their problem coming, and she talked to Jesus about fixing it. Jesus' mother saw the problem that this young couple was going to have, and she went to Jesus and said, they need help. You got any older godly people in your life that can see a problem in your life that you can't even see? You know what those older godly people will do? And if you're an older godly person, you better be doing this. Go talk to Jesus on behalf of these young couples and say, they need help. And Jesus fixed the problem. And the party continued. Don't separate. Run to the center of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for just uh, the practicality of being able to look at Rehoboam's mistake. Father, every one of us could make that same mistake. We have made that mistake. We've listened to the wrong people. And I pray, Father, that today we would learn uh, that that's just stupid. Father, I pray that today we would make the commitment to run back into the center of the church, to to really honestly look at ourselves and say, we're too far from people. We're not connecting like we should. We're not participating like we should. We're not attending like we should. And, And get ourselves back into proximity with one another. Lord, to that extent, we we pray this morning. For it's in Christ's name, amen.